Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The final piece of the jigsaw will be slotted into place today as the European Parliament votes through the Brexit withdrawal bill. And then all that remains to be done is for the party to get started on Friday night. I'm starting to wonder whether Julie Hartley Brewer's got a point, actually. Wouldn't it be good and great and fun if somehow it was all held up and we had to argue about it for another three months? I don't really want that to happen, I have to say. We'll be asking Dan Hodges how he thinks the new Boris era is going and whether the Tories are still capable of shooting themselves in the foot despite their massive majority. I actually think they might. We are live streaming the show as ever and you can join the revolution of common sense on YouTube, on Twitter and of course on Facebook as well. As well. And we want to hear from you too. 0344 499 1000. You are the voices of common sense that we've been championing for all these months and why uh, we are being so well liked and being so popular over the course of the business of politics. Coming up later on, we'll bring you the latest on the coronavirus as British Airways halts all flights to mainland China and we'll be asking why the Labour Party is apparently bored with democracy. Who knew? 0344 499 1000. I'll also be telling you all about yesterday's filming of Plank of the Week and who is likely to be a contender for the entire month of January. And we're joined by LaDonna Harvey from California with the latest on Prince Andrew and the FBI investigation. You're listening to me and watching me indeed as well right here on Talk Radio. It's the fastest growing radio station on the planet. I'm Mike Graham. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. You know what to do. Uh, you can tweet us at Talk Radio. Uh, you can join in the merry throng uh, on YouTube who are uh, tweeting uh, to each other. Or I suppose they're not really tweeting. They're just sort of posting on YouTube. Uh, but there's a big chat going on there. You can join into that. Uh, and also, of course, you can send me uh, individually uh, a tweet at IROMG. Don't forget to look out for Plank of the Week, which is out there now on YouTube. Don't forget to look out for Off Air uh, with James Bickerton today, uh, which is this week about Corbyn and what's going wrong with the Labour Party. Uh, right now, though, we're going to talk to Jim Portis uh, from the Southwest Fish Producers Organisation, because one of the things that's going to happen after uh, we leave the European Union, of course, uh, is that uh, we are going to have to have a long negotiation about fisheries. Now, some people seem, seem to think that the fisheries conversation is going to be tied up in some way uh, with financial services. I personally don't see how that could happen. But what we do know uh, is that the European Union is very greedy when it comes to fishing in our waters. Let's find out from Jim uh, precisely where that's going to go. Jim, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Yeah, good morning, Mike. Now, uh, you and I have spoken about this before. Um, what are you thinking and what are you hearing in the industry about what's likely to happen after uh, Brexit? Well, there's certainly a desire from the fishing industry to 
to get back control. You know, we've heard that word so many times over the last few months. Uh, what does it actually mean? Well, we want to make sure that the uh, British fishing industry has a lot more say uh, with with government officials in in how our fisheries are managed. It's it's not just about. Uh, reserving it all for British fishermen, but it is looking after it well uh, so that those fish stocks are in infinitely renewable. Um, we have obligations under international law to share uh, certain amounts of our fisheries with our neighbours uh, on the continent and in Ireland as well. But we want to make sure that it's done properly and with good regard uh, for the marine environment, but to make sure that there's preference uh, for the United Kingdom fishermen. Because one of the things that uh, we know about the EU is that they do consume an awful lot of fish and most of what they fish in our waters currently uh, is consumed in the EU. Would our fishermen be fishing for us, as it were, or would they be selling stuff to the EU? Well, as you say, the market is on the continent. They they love our fish. Yeah. They, li they like to catch it, but they also like to buy it. Uh, we want to ensure that they're buying more of it that's caught uh, by by British fishermen locally landed in the UK, uh, that the um, processing sector, the transport sector, are all benefiting our fishing communities, which are a shadow of what they were back in the 1960s, of course. Yes, of course. And I mean, I mean, how powerful are we going to be able to be, I suppose, is, is the other question, in this negotiation? Well, it's a very strong political lobby. Uh, of course, today the fisheries bill is, is being published in Parliament or launched in Parliament uh, to ensure that our fisheries minister has got the regulatory powers uh, to take that control of our waters and uh, require any foreign fishermen that are given permission to fish in our waters that they do so with the gear that we authorise mm. uh, to take the amounts that are allowed to ensure that the fish stocks are sustainable. But the, the market in our fish uh, is on the continent and we need to make sure that we've got um, uh, a frictionless trade across our borders and, and that's uh, for other de government departments to work out. There's no reason why we shouldn't have that, though, is there? Absolutely not. No, no, no. This is, this is something that can be worked out to ensure that uh, everybody gets a, a fair crack at the whip as far as fish production is concerned and that we all get the best market for the product. It's a great, uh, it's a great resource and it is infinitely renewable. Yeah, sure. Because one of the things that I've heard before about the whole business of fishing is that one of the problems with the European Union was that they had a very strict sort of series of guidelines and, and rules by which you had to have nets of a certain size, you had to have boats of a certain size, there was only certain things you could fish for. Is that going to change? Uh, certainly not initially. Uh, for, for the whole of 2020, you know, we, we leave the EU uh, on Friday night. Uh, for the rest of this year, we've got exactly the same regulations. This fisheries bill that's going to be going through Parliament from today onwards will give the, the minister the power to vary the regulations in future years. Mm. We want to make sure that he does that with uh, sympathy and due regard for uh, our fishing industry. Uh, Co-management is the is the buzz phrase now. Is it? We want to make sure that we're sat at the table with government officials rather than being excluded, as we have been for yeah. the last 50 years. And when it comes to the sort of rejuvenation of our vi villages and, and towns that were based on fishing, 
uh, many, many moons ago. Are we able? Are we going to be able to do that? Because I mean, I don't know for sure if it's true, but I'm told by people that you know some of the towns in the northeast of England, uh, some of the towns up in the sort of the East Fife, the Nuke of Fife, and all of that, you know, aren't as busy as as, as they used to be fishing wise. Can we rejuvenate these places? Well, we certainly can. You know, places like Grimsby have been re- rejuvenated by um, wind energy uh, services. Right. Uh, but but the fish is still there on the doorstep. Uh, it's regenerating. The mo- most of the fish stocks in the northeast Atlantic and European waters are growing mm. uh, towards the biomasses that we used to have, as I say, back in the 60s. So there's no reason why those fishing communities should not be regenerated uh, and I'm looking forward to that. Yes, me too. Brilliant stuff, Jim. Thanks very much indeed. In fact, I'm going off for lunch later on. I might even have some fish uh, in honour of the uh, beginning. Oh, hang on. What's that noise? Do you know what? I haven't heard this for so long. I'd almost forgotten what it was. But I think it is the Brexit countdown clock because, of course, today, over in Brussels, they're going to be signing and voting through the Brexit withdrawal bill. Let's have a listen to the countdown clock and see how fast it's going. <laughs> God, it's nearly running away with itself. Tremendous. It'll be about two o'clock, I think, uh, when we vote uh, in Europe. The Brexit MEPs will be there. Uh, the uh, Tories, the uh, Lib Dems, all the people who don't want to leave, I'm afraid, are going to have to leave by Friday. So it's get out of town time uh, if you happen to be an MEP in Brussels. Let's go to the phones, though. 0344 499 is the number. Let's talk to Sarah, uh, who I think is in South End. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Nick. How are you? I'm very well indeed. It's Mike, actually. Oh, yeah. Hello, Mike. That's Sorry. all right. Don't worry. It's easy to confuse the two. It is. Um, what I really wanted to ask you, though, is why are you lying to the public about the demographic replacement of Indigenous people? Oh, sorry. People? I, I thought you wanted to ring up about Brexit. I do. I'm happy about Brexit. Yeah, well, that's what it says. It says here, Sarah wants to talk about the Brexit celebrations. Everybody should get to Parliament Square. I'll be but taking my flag. Well, so, we were reluctant to talk about this subject the other day when that chap called up, and I well, wanted to know why you were deliberately misleading. Well, no, you, you, you've subject. obviously not understood my instructions earlier on. What I said, if you want to ring up and talk about something, you should tell the people that you speak to what you want to talk about, and then you'll get on. But what I won't do is entertain people who tell lies in order to get on the radio to talk about something else. You won't entertain people who tell lies. Well, why don't you quote what's on the ONS statistics about demographic replacement? Well, why don't you read it out to me and that way you can't then accuse me of not allowing you to do it? Certainly. In short, the people, the indigenous British people will be a minority in England by 2060. You said this was wrong, but you won't discuss it with anyone. Why? Well, I'm discussing it with you, Sarah. How am I not discussing it with anyone? Well, the other day you said that the, pers- the person who told you this the other day was wrong. No, I didn't. You're not wrong. No, I didn't say she was wrong. I said that he. she was wrong. Oh, he. 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 He was wrong. I said, well, anyone who thinks that the United Nations is working against the world to improve the population of any country by making sure that they take certain people from certain other countries is an absolute and utter pile of tosh. You know it as well as I do. Why don't you just admit, Sarah? Why don't you just admit, Sarah, that you don't like brown people? Why don't you just tell me that? Why don't you just admit you don't like brown people? Called the replacement plan. Why don't? Yeah, but it's rubbish, though. The UN website's rubbish. No, the UN website is not rubbish. There is something on the UN website which you're too thick to actually understand. That's the problem. Oh, please explain. Well, why don't you tell me why you don't like brown people? Where are you getting that from? Where did you hear that from? That's what you... You don't like them, do you? 
Why would you think that? Because you seem very concerned about something that isn't true and you seem very interested in spreading a load of old cobblers about some nonsense which is basically racist. If it's not true, why won't you discuss it with anyone? I'm discussing it with you now. What are you talking about? Can we have a demographics expert on the show for you to discuss it with? Well, who's the demographics expert that you'd like me to talk to? Find one. Can you find me a demographics expert in South End, maybe? <laughs> hey, can you tell me? Can you tell me how somebody next door to you has been replaced by somebody else? Have you got a theory on that? Yes, it's on the ONS. No, 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 no. I'm looking for actual evidence. You, you're telling me that people are being replaced. Can you tell me of any friends of yours who have been taken away and replaced? You Do you know what the word replace means? It means taking something away and replacing it with something else. Do you understand what that actually means? So why is, the, why is the UN website calling it a migration replacement plan? Well, why don't you ask the UN? <laughs> I doubt they'd take my call. But they won't take your call. Is that because you lied to them as well? The UN. What have I lied about? You lied because you rang up and said you wanted to talk about Brexit, and as soon as you came on, you started talking about something else. Well, you have to do this to get through because your handlers won't let me speak. If my handlers? I don't have handlers. I have producers who are human beings, right? They haven't been replaced by people from the United Nations. You ring them up and you tell them the truth. We'll get a demographic expert on to speak to you. What is the definition of a demographic expert? Someone who studies demographics. Oh, right. What is demographics? What is it? Study of population. All right, OK. So why are you so obsessed with the study of population? I'm not obsessed with it. I just want to discuss. Sounds like it. you are. Dis uh, you sounds like you are obsessed with it. Do you, Do you need to be obsessed to have a discussion on something? Well, I think for you to call up to a radio station and tell lies about what you want to talk about in order to talk about well, the I thing that you are seemingly obsessed about, that, which for not, which you have no evidence, by the way, not. you have no evidence that anyone's being replaced, do you? Only according to what the demographic experts are predicting. But that why oh, it's a prediction. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realise it was a prediction. I thought you were telling me that people were actually actively being replaced now. Yeah, it's called the replacement plan. It's on the United Nations. Oh, right. So when does the plan kick in? When does it start? I think it started a while ago. Did it? Whoa. What, so you mean there's already loads of people that have been replaced in South End then? Uh, yeah. Right, OK. So do you know anyone that's disappeared in South End? Because this is a great story now. I'm thinking that we should get into it. Oh, yeah. Well, in that case, let's get a demographic expert on. To You've already said that. No, I want you to tell me whether or not there are people who have been replaced in South End. Well, wouldn't you rather speak to an expert than some idiot from South End? Yeah, that's very true, actually. Cheerio. Uh, Sarah's right. She's an idiot from South End. But listen, if you want to ring up from South End and you're not an idiot, by all means do so, because maybe you can tell me whether anybody's been replaced. This is Talk Radio. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here, of course, on Talk Radio. We are the fastest growing radio station in the land. We are, in fact, the fastest growing station uh, in Europe. We're also the fastest growing radio station on the entire planet. And there's a good reason for that. We talk common sense. There seems to be a bit of a common sense vacuum going on uh, in South End, however. Charlton Kev says this. Hey, Sarah from South End. After the fool from South End who phoned in about chemtrails over the area, I'm starting to think something's actually being sprayed over the South End area. I think it should be renamed Plank End. It may well be that South End is the first town in Britain which actually makes it onto Plank of the Week. Uh, next week, we have to nominate South End as the thickest town in Britain. Could it be true? 
goodness gracious me, I'm getting all sorts of mad tweets from people saying, well, it's all about the uh, replacement, isn't it? Right? Because if you take people out of London and replace them with other people, uh, it's not about racism, uh, it's changing their communities. All of these tweets, by the way, come from people who don't live in London, right? My community in London is very, very metropolitan. My community in London is full of Millwall fans. My community in London is also full of people from Europe. My community in London is also full of people from Africa. My community in London is also full of people from Scotland, from Ireland, from Wales, from France, and from other parts of the world. And quite frankly, I'm rather happy about that. I will be going later on uh, to a club in Covent Garden, which will probably be uh, served by uh, people behind the bar who are from another country. I will be working today, later on, with some people who come from another country. My first wife was an American. My two children from her uh, and our marriage are American citizens as well as being British. I don't hear anybody complaining about Americans coming to Britain. I don't hear anybody complaining about Romanians coming to Britain. I don't hear anybody complaining about French people coming to Britain. What I do hear is a lot of racists complaining about people with different coloured skin coming to Britain. And I'm sorry, if you want to bring up and talk about that, that's fine. But I'm going to call you racist because that's what you are. Because the United Nations Charter on Replacement is nothing of the sort, okay? What it is, is a statement of fact which basically says that because of the declining birth rate in this country and in other parts of Western Europe, migrants will come from other countries who want to do better for themselves because their own countries are not the places of opportunity that the West is, and they will come and live here. That's all it says. It's not a replacement. It is not some kind of mad project. It is not some kind of lunatic left-wing idea to completely change the culture of Britain, all right? For God's sake, get a grip, people. This is Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, there are those people who run the Labour Party who might at the moment be wishing that nobody would talk to them because, quite frankly, the Labour Party is in a complete and utter state of disrepair. John McTiernan uh, is a man that we speak to on a regular basis on this show. He's also a man uh, who joined us on election night uh, to sit through what was one of the worst election results in the history of the Labour Party, possibly as far back as 1935 is where you have to go uh, to get an idea of how badly Jeremy Corbyn did. We've now got a, a review of how that all went by the Labour Party and and bearing in mind that they've already voted Jeremy Corbyn as the greatest Labour Party leader in the history of the Labour Party, uh, they're basically saying it's not his fault that they lost the election. Let's find out from John whether he has any hope at all that the Labour Party can ever come back uh, to any semblance of power and any semblance of even threatening uh, to win an election. John, a very good morning to you. Oh, good morning. Now, you were pretty much in despair um, when we spoke the last time about how the Labour Party was going to pick its next leader. Are you any further encouraged, or is it still pretty depressing? Well, I was in despair because I was worried that even a defeat as bad as uh, Labour got uh, last year, which is, as you said, uh, worse than any election since 1935, um, that even that defeat was not going to shock people into their senses. Mm. Um on the one hand, I'm pleased to see the members, uh, the, act the activists and the members, uh, by saying that they are making Keir Starmer their favourite. They're actually saying, you know, we want somebody who looks like a prime minister, acts like a prime minister, could be, you know, you could imagine Keir, for example, at a G7 meeting. Yes. Him in a meeting with uh, President Xi. I thought that was good and the party had accepted that. But there's still this remnants of... Uh, magical thinking. Mm. Uh, we see it in these um, the, the leaked reports to the Labour Party's ruling body, the National Executive Committee. It turns out, um, the digital team say, um, 
that, uh, you know, Jeremy Corbyn got more likes on social media than Boris Johnson. I mean, well, we could probably recount the elections, didn't we? Well, exactly. I mean, I think, isn't that, isn't that part of the problem here, is that the Labour Party has become this kind of vast echo chamber uh, yeah. of, its own, uh, of its own ilk, if you like, and so they're not actually going outside of it to ask people what they think. They're all agreeing with each other that they're all brilliant. Yeah, well, it, it, that's, exa that's exactly right. There's a sort of... There's a Jeremy can do no wrong. So in 2017... Uh, when Labour was beaten, uh, but did surprisingly well in the proportion, percentage of the votes, everybody said, that's Jeremy, Jeremy's doing, Jeremy saved the Labour Party. Um, 2019, uh, Labour get pummeling, the absolute thrashing, mm. uh, to the Tories, traditional Labour seats lost the Tories. And people say, oh, Jeremy, he wasn't involved at all, nothing to do with him, right. he's only the leader. Um, and it's that um, basically that is uh, cultish thinking, isn't it? That it really is. Everything's about the leader. When, when he's... When, when he's right, he's really right, and when he's wrong, he wasn't even present. No, exactly right. And they started this narrative, didn't they, on election night? Actually, when yeah. when, when we were working together, John, on on, on the uh, on the TV live stream, because you you and I both saw Labour candidates who had lost yeah. talking about how people didn't believe. Uh, that the Labour Party could deliver what they were promising to do, yeah. or that the Labour Party somehow um, were were hoodwinked by the press, yeah. or that it was all Murdoch's fault that you know nobody's voting Labour. When in fact it was clearly Labour's policies which weren't uh, in any way appealing to people. Well, you you always you always know that politicians are in a difficult position when they start saying <clears throat> it's not the policies, it's um, the communication, the presentation, uh, or it's the media, and I. I think the media did their job. They told the public what Labour's policies were, and people went, "What? Right. Free, free Wi-Fi, free broadband? I mean, I'd like, as Lisa and Andy pointed out, I don't want free broadband. I want a bus service. <laughs> like, it, it's, that's for the consumer. Yeah, and a job that pays reasonably well. A, yeah, and so I can pay for my own broadband. Thank you very much. Yeah, and I think it was the it was the it was a strange mixture of miserableism. Corbyn saying that Britain is a terrible country to live in, yeah. which it isn't, it's a great country, uh, and his impossibilism saying, I'll take this terrible country, which you don't recognise, and I'll transform it in this way. And the only thing people really believed was he would definitely raise taxes and he'd definitely yeah. spend money. They didn't believe he'd spend the money well. They think he'd spend it on his friends in the unions. They thought he'd spend it on nationalising things. He'd waste the money. Um, and people kind of went, well, I think it, the problem with the media wasn't that they uh, didn't let Jeremy have his voice. It's that they did it too well. They let people yeah. really see what Jeremy would be like. And they went. And also a lot of ordinary uh, working class people yeah. in this country yeah. wanted to leave the European Union. And the Labour position on that was nonsensical. And I told them it was nonsensical before the election. You know, I spoke to Laura Pidcock, I spoke to Rebecca Long-Bailey, uh, I spoke to John McDonald, and I told them all, look, this is not a sustainable position. But they carried on with it, and they were very clear that they thought that they had found a way through the Brexit stalemate by basically representing everyone from leave or remain. Yep, yep. And then when it, when it all fell apart around their ears, they then said, oh, well, of course, the election was all about Brexit. Yeah, I know, but it's worse than that. They... they they're now also saying it wasn't their choice to have the policy that was their choice. They're kind of going, it, the election was about Brexit, we were surprised by it, and then we're surprised by this policy that turned out to be unpopular, which wasn't really our yeah. policy. Like, who made the decision? Oh, um, Jeremy and John. Well, also, I was under the impression that it was Keir Starmer's idea to have this kind of uh, rather flip-floppy uh, Brexit uh, policy, which was, you know, if you voted leave, then we're behind you, but if you voted remain, we're also behind you. Oh, look, the shadow, look, shadow cabinet members propose, but um, leaders dispose. Yes. Um, Jeremy Corbyn agreed with that position. Um, the leader has to take the rap for everything. You can't say, oh, 
Oh, yeah, I took this idea from someone. I didn't really think about it, but it's really it was his fault because he gave me this idea, which I just accepted. Um, Keir was trying to square a circle, but the leadership had to decide, and you were absolutely right. The lesson in Scotland, the lesson in the UK after break, after every referendum, you have to say whether you're still, you know, in Scotland for independence against independence. Yeah. And Labour tried to be for both. Right. Uh, are, you, are you for Brexit or against Brexit? You've got to be one or the other. Mm. Um, and you have to let people understand that. And if this is the issue that's defining the election, that people will vote accordingly. And you, you, can't, and you actually get punished for... Labour would have done better if it simply said, we are a straightforward, st- honest-to-goodness, Remain party, because we think that's better for the car industry in Sunderland, better for the car industry in Swindon, better for the car industry in Bridgend. And just said, got on, honestly and had the argument. Mm. Instead, I tried to say, we're for you, but don't tell the people in London that we're for you. No, quite. And, and, the, other, and the, other fundamental, the other fundamental truth which Labour won't admit to is that a lot of people who are neutral in politics looked at Jeremy Corwin and didn't yeah. like him. Basically, he doesn't look like a guy that they want to elect. He doesn't look like a guy that they want to put into Downing Street. And that's another fundamental truth that Labour will not uh, uh, admit to. Yeah, no, look, I mean, I say that to um, Labour Party friends of mine who are in despair about there being a a Tory majority of 80 plus. And I say, look, it could be worse. We could have a Jeremy Corbyn government. (laughs) Well, I mean, there's a lot of people like you um, who I've spoken to from Labour who are very pleased that this this has meant at least the end of the Jeremy Corbyn years. Yeah, I think, well, he has... His ideas have been tested to destruction and, unfortunately, the Labour Party has been tested to destruction uh, in the process. The, The one hope that one has is... We have had a very volatile period of politics over the last 10 years, mm. um, starting with the coalition, um, the re- then the, all the referendums, the you know, referendum on, uh, uh, on, on alternative vote, the referendum on uh, Scottish independence, the referendum on Brexit. Uh, there's been, things have been going back and forth. Yeah. I think, yes, uh, Boris is now the master of all he surveys. He can do what he wants. The problem of being master of all you surveys is you're also responsible for all you surveys. So well, that's right. The rail this morning, and also, they nationalise it. They, you know, it's like they, you own it. You now own the lateness, right. uh, the missing, the missing trains. Mm. And also, the thing that's worrying, I think, for for those of us who like there to be a healthy opposition and a yeah. healthy kind of debate yeah. going on in the country, is you don't have a critical um, sort of other side that might improve your policies, you know, because there's nothing better than standing up in the House of Commons having a good old-fashioned ding-dong in a debate with the leader of the opposition and going back into your office afterwards and going, do you know what, I'm not going to admit it to him, but actually he had quite a good point about that, and that was quite an interesting, um, you know, wrinkle to, to our policy, so why don't we just put that in there? And, and unfortunately, you're, Jeremy Corbyn's not really doing that job now. No, you're absolutely, look, you're absolutely right about that. One of the most testing... Uh, points of the week for, for Tony Blair was always Prime Minister, que- Prime Minister yeah. questions. And he, you know, he, he with, with the team around, around him, we'd all consider what questions are likely to come up. Mm. And then you'd look at the briefing from the departments on what the, what the policy was, what the position was, what the lines of defence were. And sometimes you'd look at it and you'd go, God, is that our policy? Yeah. That's indefensible. Right. Well, I'm not going to say that. We're changing the policy. Exactly. The fear, the fear of scrutiny in the House of Commons should be the greatest fear that a minister has because it's holding them to account by a jury of their peers mm. 
in the in the Commons, and and we know that can be it can be devastating television, but also devastating politics. Absolutely, and and at the moment, I'm afraid Jeremy Corbyn just looks like a pointless figure, um, yes. batting away uh, any any new policy by Boris Johnson yeah. by literally rehashing all of the stuff that got him the biggest defeat that Labour's had since 1935. Yeah, I I would far rather have once the leadership candidates have been all nominated, why not just have. Keir Starmer, Lisa Nandy, Rebecca Long-Bailey, Emily Thorne, if she gets through, get them doing Prime Minister's questions, rotating through it, so we get them to do a live yeah. audition for the, for the voters, for the public, for the journalists, just so we can see, well, are you any good at this? Right. Uh, rather than having Jeremy just going in and doing this, uh, posting in this appalling performance. Yeah, because I've said to you many times before, John, I'm not as impressed with Boris Johnson as lots of other people seem to be. I don't think he's the master orator. I don't think he's the master debater at all. I think he is actually a guy who can be picked apart by somebody who's smart enough to do so. Yeah, and I think, look, I, I think you, you, when do we see Boris uncomfortable? We see him when somebody's funnier than him, yeah. when somebody's quicker witted than him, yeah. when somebody pulls the weakness in his argument. He, he, all, most of his techniques he defines himself by, uh, his Latin tags and his um, uh, oratund language, they're there to disguise the fact that he's feeling uncomfortable. The more that you got to get, I think you can do him forensically the way uh, I expect Keir Starmer would, you can do him in a kind of, that kind of moral how dare you say that? Yeah. Are you serious? Are you saying that? That Lisa Nandy would do it? You do him the Jess Phillips way, which is which is be funnier than him. But he's very vulnerable in many areas. What he's not vulnerable to is is a plodding old um, geography supply teacher style uh, of, of coming up and saying, the North's really sad at the moment. What have you got to say about that, yeah, right. Prime Minister? Uh, that dreary, dreary, dreary miserableism of... Um, uh, of, of Jeremy Corbyn. It lost the election and it's losing PMQs yeah. every week. And what are you hearing from inside the party as far as who's really going to be the next leader? Because um, obviously a lot of people think it's going to be Keir Starmer. I'm not sure if, if those indicators are right. What, what, are you, what are you thinking? Oh, look, I think the... Um, you have to think that Rebecca Long-Bailey is a strong, strong candidate because she's got the backing of Unite. And we know that Unite... I've got phone banks that they mobilise the vote. They did it before for Jeremy. They get out there and they give a they give a more vigorous support to their candidate than the other big unions like the GMB uh, to Lisa or the, the Unison to to here are able to give. Now, if those unions turn out their members, then I would I would expect very few of Lisa Nandy's second preferences would go to Rebecca Long Bailey. They'd go to Keir. Uh, none of Keir Starmer's second preferences will go to Rebecca Long Bailey. In the end, it's likely to be a straight fight between Rebecca and um, uh, and Keir. And I think if the party is as pro trying to be competitive in the future as I, as I believe it is from the conversations I've had, I think Keir nicks it. But I think there's a long way to run, and we know that with these with these debates, uh, the hustling debates that are going to be. There can be a, you can make a reputation in a minute and you can lose it in a minute in getting you know a gaff will set you off course and so far the gaff the gaff the gaff mistress has been um, Rebecca Long Bailey who seems uncomfortable unhappy not really wanting to be in this campaign Keir has been Keir he's a he's a, he's a you know senior lawyer very smooth uh, and Lisa has been the surprising one the way that she handled Andrew Neil uh, was basically a masterclass really yeah. wasn't it in in how to be asked a question. And turn it back on him. It was like uh, you know, it was like watching judo or something. Tai Chi. <laughs> it's a kind of uh, taking the strength of Andrew Neil and turning it against himself. And you know we want to see a bit more of that. Yeah. So we, so some of it, it will unfold, but it looks like 
Um, you know, Jess's, Jess's challenge is over. Emily Thornberry's looks very, very weak. Uh, and so in the final, in the final vote, um, it will be who can beat uh, Rebecca Long Bailey. And at the moment, there's a, there's, there's a lot of feeling in the party from people I know. It's anybody but Rebecca Long Bailey, which is, you know, not ideal. But it does mean that it's turning our back on the Corbyn uh, time and the Corbyn succession. No, sure. John, thanks very much indeed. John McTinn and uh, Tony Blair's former political secretary talking about the problem inside the Labour Party, the problem uh, that they have basically encountered over the past two to three years. The Jeremy Corbyn factor, effectively, has killed the party off. It's killed its probability of ever getting into power for the next five years, certainly, and possibly for the next ten, maybe even longer than that. Uh, but whether it turns out that they've turned their back on everybody else in the country in order just to be a little cult organisation uh, remains to be seen. We shall see. Uh, Martin has sent me a text uh, to uh, 87222. Uh, start your message with the word talk. He says, hey, Mike, I'm from Southend. That loony caller doesn't speak for all of us. Well, I'm glad to hear that. There are some sensible people in Southend. This is Talk Radio. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Matthew Wright coming up at one o'clock, of course. Don't forget, though, uh, Plank of the Week is out there on YouTube. We've also got Off Air out there on YouTube with James Bickerton, which is a very big conversation about the Labour Party, about Jeremy Corbyn, because James actually ran a campaign uh, to stop Corbyn becoming Prime Minister. And you'd have to say that was pretty well done, wasn't it? Let's talk to David, who's in Oxford. Hello, David. Hi, David. How are you, Mike? Uh, I'm good. Very well. Uh, nice to speak to you. What do you want to tell me? Um, yeah, I've been listening in, and I've heard these um, sort of conspiracy theories talking about the replacement migration. Yes, yeah, weird, and, isn't um, it? Well, I mean, some of what they're saying is a bit weird about the um, United Nations being behind them. I'm not too sure about that, but I think um, what you can shed light on is that the British people have a below replacement birth rate of about 1.7. Hey, and we're being sorry. They have what? Um, their their birth rate is about 1.7. A replacement birth rate what, level is about 2.1. What, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. Well, well, to have a replacement birth rate means that you keep the population at the same level. So you need a you need a birth rate of 2.1. Why? We have a birth rate of one. Well, because if you don't have a birth rate of two to replace the the um, mother and the father, then the population will decrease. So and, what you're saying is for people. every for, so what you're saying is for every two people that die, you need a birth rate of two. 
Well, look, Mike, you need a birth rate of 2.1 to keep the population steady. Now, we right. have a replacement... Well, how do you know that, though? Of 1. From the Office of National Statistics, Mike. Well, no, because obviously you have, well, a yeah. move, you have a moving population as well, so the population can grow in other ways, can't it? Well, yeah, our population uh, is growing, but it's a, it's a foreign um, uh, uh, growth. Yeah, but we're, what difference, we're, what we're, difference we're, does we're, that make? People come and go, right? Some well, people I'm, come. I'm explaining. I'm explaining. Well, no, but the, no, but my point theory, is, is that well, one, I don't know how you know it's one point seven, and if it is one point seven, that's only point four from two point one. So yeah, you're actually so only are, losing, you know, point four of a person. Declining, eh? And uh, with the British population is still declining, and we're bringing in three hundred to six hundred thousand people every year who have a higher birth rate than us, Mike. Yes. Yes, yes. and. That's that, and <laughs> what do you mean? And I'm well, and what? I mean, so you're theory, stating right? you're stating uh, the obvious, aren't you? There are people that come here, for example, saying, from. Well, well you are. The there obvious, are people that come here. Well, there are people who come here to work, right? Where do they yeah. stand if they come here to work but they don't have any children? What happens then? But that's not happening, Mike. They're, yeah, they're having more children there's, than no, that. No, there's loads of people that come to this country I'm, to I'm work. I'm talking on average. I'm talking well, on average. There's loads of people who come to this country to work, right, and work for, say, five years and then go back to the country they came from. OK, but... How so, what, so how do you, do you classify them? How many people are staying? What? So, but, OK, but do you, do you know how many people leave the country? Do I know? Yeah, yeah, let me just check my bo a notebook because I normally what I get uh, I get the people well, at Heathrow to call me saying, whenever yeah. anybody leaves the country, so I can put another number on the old abacus. Well, what's, if, what if are you worried the, about? What are you, what's the problem, David? So just tell me well, what the problem why, is. Why are you well, concerned? Why, why should why should we, we all understand that groups exist? Um, why why should the British people go exist? Uh, go eh? I mean, that will happen. That will happen if the what's going to happen. Stay the same. There will, there will be no more British people. Really? The British people who are okay. today will no longer cease to exist. Now, it says here that you studied um, demographics at university. Is that right? Yeah. Which university? Uh, Hull. It says Oxford here. You told the producer oh, you no. studied it at Oxford. No, I live in Oxford. I studied at Hull. Oh, right. Hull University? Yeah. Who's the head of the demographics department? Um, why, why do I need to tell you that? Because I don't believe you did go to Hull University to study demographics. That's why... Uh, James, James Albert. James Albert? Okay. Yeah. And is he married, James? Um, I don't know. Okay. How long did you study there for? Four years. I mean, are we, are we talking about my history or are we talking about demographics, Mike? Well, I'm, well, we're talking to you to try and find out why it is that you care about this problem. And why don't you just tell me oh, the truth about why you I'm care? British. Why don't you tell... Well, how, how are you British, exactly? Be replaced. How are you British? What do you mean, how am I British? Yeah, what makes you I'm British? Anglo-Saxon. What makes you Anglo-Saxon? How do you know that? <laughs> well, well how do you know? Look at me, Mike. Have you, you done it? Have you had a DNA test done on yourself? Um, no, I haven't. So you don't actually but, know where you're from, well, do you? Well, my mom's English. My dad's English. Where my are they from? My grandparents are English. My great grandparents are English. Where are they from? They're all from England, as far as I know. As far as you know, they didn't come here from somewhere else. <laughs> oh, you got me there, Mike. Well, how do you know? But I know because my, <laughs> my grandparents are English and my great-grandparents are English. Where from in England? My great-grandparents, I don't know. How far? So you don't I mean, know, if, do you? If, if but you, you don't to, know. If you, want to look at, if you want to look at what I'm talking about as a replacement, look at East London. Yeah. Can you describe East London as British? Uh, I live in South East London and I would very much describe it as British, yeah. 
so there used to be... When was the last time you were in uh, Rotherhide or in uh, Canary Wharf? There used to be a people known as the Cockneys, and which essentially no longer exist anymore. They used to dominate the East London area and they had to move out because... The people known their, as the Cockneys. Yeah. Have you seen the craze? Yeah, I've seen the craze. Do you know that bit where the Mafia guy comes from America? Uh, I haven't seen it for a while. All right. Well, no, he 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 talks about the Cockanese as if they're like the Polynesians. He can pronounces it all wrong. The Cockanese. He's like, I love the Cockanese. They're great. The Cockanese okay. are people technically born within the sound of the bow bells. So if you're still born within the sound of the bow bells, you are a Cockanee, are you not? Um, I, I don't know what your definition. definition well, that's the is, definition of a Cockney. Find that the, the no, that is the definition, David. That, no exist, that is the definition. No, David. That is no. No, you're wrong. You're no, you're wrong because I'm the definition wrong. of a I'm Cockney. Yes, you are wrong. The definition oh, of a Cockney is no. It's not my definition. I'm a Londoner, David. I don't know where you're from. Um, I'm from London, born and raised. And London, if you want to be a Cockney, you have to be born within the sound of the Bow Bells. Now, if you know where Bow is, you will know precisely what that means. I know, I know about where Bow is, yeah. You know where Bow is? It's on the district line. If there, but if there's... I mean, I'm not too sure about the uh, percentage of the British people in East London, but I'm pretty sure they're probably in a minority. London has a minority... Are you British if you are... Oh, all right, hang on. Are you British if you're born in... If you're born in London... If you're born in London, are you British? Well, what I'm talking about... I mean, answer yes or no. You can, I mean... Yes or no. Are you born, If you're born in London, are you British? You can be a British citizen, but are you ethnically British is a different, is a different uh, category. Well, do you mean white? I mean British. No, you mean white, don't you? Well, white British is a category, yeah. So you can't be black and British, is that what you're saying? No, I didn't say that. I mean, you can... Are you, you saying... Can be, well, you can, can you be... be can you be black and British, David? Um... Yeah, I think you can, yeah. Right, so but, what also, does that mean for the we're ethnic we're British, then? Native British. I think you're, uh, David, British. I think you're a bit confused, mate. I'm going to let you go because we're late for the news, but thanks for uh, all of your efforts and thanks for all of the studying that you did at Hull University because it obviously taught you absolutely the square root of nothing whatsoever. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Loads more to come between now and one o'clock, even though there's not that long until one o'clock, because Matthew Wright will be coming up after that, of course. Let's go straight to the phones. 0344 499 Now, Don't forget, you can watch us now on YouTube as well uh, as on Facebook and Twitter. So not only can you listen to the great words of wisdom that we come out with, uh, you can also watch it as well. Let's talk to Roy, who's in South End. Hello, Roy. Oh, hi there. I'm Mike. I'm uh, trying to restore the intellectual reputation <laughs> of South Essex. Listen, listen, I don't wish to cast any aspersions on South End. I really don't. So, well, so I'm, glad, I'm glad that you've come up with an alternative. Country, well, I, I missed the very start of that lady's conversation with you. Yeah. Um, but she seemed to be talking about this idea of replacement, you know, of white culture or something like that. Um, and I thought I'd talk to you, one, about why that's stupid, yeah. and two, where it comes from. So which right. one do you want first? Yeah, well, tell us where it comes from, because I think the problem here, I've seen, yeah. you know, because as you can imagine, there's all sorts of people on Twitter, on Facebook, on, on mm -hmm. YouTube, sending this document around to me so that I right. can look at it. And I've looked at it, and it doesn't say anything like what they think it says. Mm. Well, there's, there's, there's the numbers. Now, there's three countries in the world which have a way worse one than we do, which is Italy, Japan, and Russia, right. where the birth rate is incredibly low. Okay. So if you just, like, pan out after, like, ten generations, Italians will be extinct by 2300 or something. Right. You know, if you're just counting people born in Italy and reproducing. Right. Um, but really, it's... There seems to be a lot of Italians in London, to be honest. 
Well, yeah. Um, I was in South End walking on the beach on um, Christmas Day with my girlfriend, and we heard languages, Italian, Spanish, uh, Somalis, loads of people, you know. It just it was, it was the smorgasbord of, you know, people from all over the world. Right. Um, which, you know, I, I, I have no problem with. Um, but really, it's, it's a conspiracy theory that comes from the U.S., particularly the alt-right in the U.S. So um, if you think of people like Steve Bannon, uh, and Stephen Miller, who still has a job in the White House, which is terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember about two years ago there was a march in Charlottesville in the USA? Yes, I do. That one where somebody uh, got killed. Yeah, someone got killed. Yeah. Right. Do you remember what the, the right-wing guys with the tiki torches? do you remember what they were chanting? No. They were chanting, Jews will not replace us. Really? Now, I, I was very confused at the time because I, I was thought one, I thought it was you will not replace us. Right. And again, it was Jews will not replace us. Right, okay. Um, and I thought, well, that's ridiculous because there's 300 million Americans and there's only about 20 million Jews, yeah. of which 4 million are Americans. So right. that's just silly. Right. No, what this is is a very right wing, quite Nazi idea right. that the Jews are puppet masters. Yes. And they hate the Christian West and our values and our everything and else. And the right-wingers in America are very anti-Semitic in that way. But the right-wingers in this country have replaced the Jewish people with Muslims, right? So you're saying that's a fact or that's their theory? I'm saying that's their theory. Oh, OK. Yes, basically they had this idea that they're trying to import people from the third world. Yeah. Um... Generally brown, that seems to but be But it's like, I mean, I'm looking at all of the people on YouTube who are quite frankly, mm. quite disgusting, quite a lot of them. Some of the stuff they yeah. say is awful. But it seems to be mostly directed at Islam and, and Muslims. Well, I saw the way you were talking over the last hour and it seemed like you were trying to lay traps for people <laughs> to admit this, and they wouldn't. Um, but, yeah, it, what's happened is it, it's been kind of hidden and it's this theory is just floating out there right. now. And, and people can't actually tie it back to this very, very nasty anti-Semitic, right-wing, um, alt-right thing from the US. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I look at my school where I went to in South End, um, to West High School. It was um, back in the nine, uh, 80s, 90s. Right. And there was probably out of 100 students a year, no, I'm not question, 60 students a year, maybe five or six for Asian or black. Right. And they put up a thing on the Facebook page, photographed the first year, it's now up to like 30 or 40%, you know, so it's a big change, you know, right. and also just walking around, there's Somali restaurants and there's, you know... Um, yeah, but in, in actual fact, the figures do not respond to those kind of remarks about what the, the neighbourhood has changed. I mean, there have been changes in various parts of the country, but overall, yeah. it is still a very much a... a to be, to be brown-skinned in this country is still very much a, a minority. Yeah, and, and, and whenever you hear these American pundits, uh, I'm a bit surprised the, the lady you last talked to didn't mention it, they're talking about, like, no-go areas and Sharia law. And, and everyone in this country is thinking, like, we've had Muslims here for 60 years. Yeah, I know. What, what on earth are you talking about? I know. Well, well this is the problem. But the, because of the way that the internet now works, unfortunately, they're all sort of reading from the same hymn sheet, literally. Yeah. They're all li- yeah. reading the same thing. Yeah. You know, it's quite it's quite disturbing in its way, but I think also we have to be careful not to give it too much credence because I don't think it's a very large number of people. I think it's quite a small number no. who no. seem to be larger because of their presence on the internet. No. And, I, and I get very cross because I've got... <laughs> I don't know if you, you haven't asked my bona fides yet. Thank you. You didn't. You asked the last guy. But I've got a degree in biology and by... by, um, by Is it from Hull University, University, by any chance? Uh, it's from Sussex. Oh, there you go. OK. The University of the country <laughs> and John Maynard Smith was my lead professor. OK. Who was described by... Well, you sound far more believable than the last bloke. Well... The point being, the human race is one of the most identical species on the planet. Yeah. It's ridiculous to take something like skin colour or 
height or anything and ascribe a bunch of like abilities or intelligence or whatever onto it. Yeah. If you walk down the street and you see a white cat and then a few minutes later you walk past a black cat, do you think you've seen two different races of cats? No. That would be insane, wouldn't it? It would, exactly right. But we do it, but some people do it to other people all the time, every day, and, it, and, it, and it's insane. It I mean, is insane. You, it is insane. It, I'm not quite sure why they do it. I don't understand why all of these ghastly individuals who want to somehow maintain what they believe to be some kind of racial purity, right? Um, I wouldn't want anything to do with any of them. No, and if you, if you look at it at the genetic level... Who are the humans that have the most primitive DNA in their system? And it's us Europeans, because about 5 or 6% of our DNA comes from Neanderthals. Yeah, exactly. Um, if you're an African, you say, you've got that Neanderthal DNA. You well, exactly right. An idiot. But that's where, we all, that's where we all started from. Rory, thanks. I've got to run, because I want to try and squeeze Ian in from Somerset as well. Ian, very good morning to you. Afternoon, I should say. Hello. Yeah. Um, HS2, alternatives. I mean, all the talk on mainstream media has been, oh, what are we going to do if we don't have HS2 for a million pounds a uh, millimetre? Yeah. Uh, how on earth we get from north to the south? We won't be able to use the 600. Not from me, you haven't heard that, I have to say. Yeah, but, but, but no, but I mean, you know, the BBC, nobody has mentioned Maglev. The government was offered <laughs> Maglev in 2010 by Siemens Transrapid. Was it? They built it in about 1883. Um, they had the first line working. They've not talked about Maglev at all anywhere. The hover trains, which were built in the 70s, uh, one of them carried about 13,000 people, you know, Jean Batin yeah. in France. Uh, the, what, another one that he built, the last one he built, uh, achieved 272 miles an hour. It was the fastest train in the world in 1972. Yeah. Um, they haven't talked about HSUK's offer that they made to the government, which was connect every major city and every major airport for 38 billion. Nobody's mentioned it. No. And they said, railway engineers said, the fastest you'll get in between stops, 40 to 50 miles, is about 185 miles an hour. That's uh, that's all you're going to get. Right. Um, well, I mean, I don't understand make... why they would want to waste all this money on HS2, which for me is a complete and utter waste of time. Yeah, yeah absolute nonsense. And the typical, uh, they've made them a bit faster since I commented on Radio 2 about two years ago, but the typical local trains are averaging with stops. 30 to 35 miles an hour currently. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, they're talking about having 14 trains an hour or something. Can you imagine what's going to happen? There's not going to be any way that they can run that in any way, shape or form uh, uh, with efficiency. Ian, we've got to run because we're out of time. But thank you for your thoughts. Thank you to everyone uh, who called in, even idiots. Uh, 0344 499 1000. You keep us entertained after all. Uh, but if you keep being really, really disgusting and awful and horrible on the YouTube uh, feed, at some point or other, somebody, it won't be me, but somebody will probably block you because uh, you really need to clean up your act, some of you people out there. You're a disgrace to the human race, whichever colour it is. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.